I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And And you're you're listening listening to Rad Child Child Podcast. Podcast. having a little a little bit of a special episode uh you know obviously we we tend to record in advance so um and while we're while recording in advance the world keeps spinning and things keep happening uh and so we we just wanted to address everything that was going on right now um regarding police brutality and uh a lot of a lot of the things that have been going on in the world um so we obviously, as as every is true every week, we want to acknowledge that we are two white people, um, and we you know we want to try and our intention is to try and use the privilege that we have to bring you know bring light to these uh, some awesome awesome books about um, you know both uh, police brutality and um, and race and racism in in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that it, it, it is something that needs to be said. I, I that um, black. Sorry, let, let me let me start that over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is hard to do, Seth. I know. Okay. Um, and um, it should go without saying, but of course it needs to be said. It needs to be shouted um, that we believe on Rad Child Podcast and um, and also on my end at Shift Bookbox that Black Lives Matter. And black trans lives matter, and black neurodiverse lives matter, and black autistic lives matter, and black disabled lives matter, um, um, black lives matter. And so um, uh, over at Shift Book Box, we ended up putting together a new insert um, in our boxes to better reflect um, our values um, around black lives and black lives mattering. And so I just wanted to read, I think that what we what we wrote is really applicable to kind of our values over here on on Rad Child Podcast as well. And so we wrote, um, we are committed to anti-racist work and to leveraging our resources to amplify the voices of black authors, illustrators, and experts, to recognize the many lived experiences of black people and to push children's publishing to a more just space. Um, and that's something that is critically important right now. Um, the Cooperative Children's Book Council just put out their new um, kind of diversity and publishing statistics. Um, let me pull this up really quickly. The Cooperative Children's Book Center um, has put out their statistics for um, the 2019 diversity in children's literature. Um, and they are, uh, again, fairly bleak. Um, the number of books um, written by Black, Indigenous, people of color, and other kind of traditionally underrepresented um, communities remains very low. Um, Over half of the books put out in 2019 that featured Black characters were actually not own voices books. Mm. They were written and or illustrated um, by by characters who did not identify as black and typically were were white authors and illustrators, so that's a big problem. Um, and so we we want to make it make it very clear that that here at Rad Child Podcast we believe um, that Black lives matter, that Black trans lives matter, that Black neurodiverse lives matter, that Black autistic lives matter, um, that Black disabled lives matter, and um, we really want to honor the 
um, the lives that have been lost um, due to police brutality, including but not limited to um, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, George Floyd, Ahmed Aubrey, Elijah McClain, and the, the many, many others. Yeah, absolutely. I guess let's jump into it. Okay. Um, so I have uh, one book that I love and a couple of books um, that maybe what I was thinking is I would talk about my book, you could talk about your book. And then I wanted to talk about a couple of other books that I've gotten my hands on that I've seen around a lot mm-hmm. um, being promoted and just, you know, a, a little bit of my feelings about them, which um, range from this is like whatever to do not buy this book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so I'll, I guess I'll start with the one that I like, <laughs> um, which is called Something Happened in Our Town, A Child's Story About Racial Injustice. Uh, and that has several authors, um, Marianne Sol- Solano, excuse me, Marianne Solano, um, Marietta Collins, and Anne Hazard. And it's illustrated by uh, Jennifer Zivian. Uh, I did do a little bit of research on the authors. It seems that um, two of the authors, well, from what I could, from what I can find, two of the authors are white. Uh, one is black. The three, the three women are all um, uh, psychologists uh, that worked together on other things, and so this was sort of a project that they um, tackled together. Uh, but they have a kind of a history together of working on projects. And then uh, it was illustrated by, from what I could tell, Jennifer Zivian is a white woman, but I couldn't um, I couldn't really find anything that decisively said one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, that's from what I could tell, she does seem to be white. So, um, so yeah, that's, you know, out of the four people that worked on this book, three are white. Um, which is, is something to talk about maybe later, but at any rate, uh, basically, oh, oh, also I forgot about the publisher, which is Imagination Press, who I absolutely love. They have a lot of really, really great books. Um, so uh, especially about, uh, LGBTQIA issues as well. Um, so definitely shout out to them because they have a lot of really good books. They publish a lot of Gail Pittman's work. Yes. Oh, Um, she she just came out with a new one too called My Maddie, which I'm very excited about, about a non-binary parent. That's really cool. Um, Imagination Press is the press at the American Psychological Association. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So it's a good fit. I've been in contact with them a lot because I needed to source. Actually, I needed to source something happened in our town for our new Mm -hmm. um, shift book box. And I sourced um, this day in June for our Mm -hmm. pride book box. So I have been chatting quite a bit with the with the good folks over at Imagination Press. And they seem like a like a great a great little publishing house. Yeah, they are. They're really wonderful. And even in when in the beginning, before I even had a podcast, I, I reached out to a lot of, um, when I was in the planning stages of the podcast, I reached out to a lot of, uh, I basically looked through my bookshelf <laughs> and was like, who do I, like, what are a lot of publishers that I own? You know, books from publishers mm-hmm. that I own. And that was one of them that I had a lot of. And, and they were, even before I had a big listener base, they were willing to send me books um, for review purposes. They're just like, they all have always been very, lovely and I just can't recommend them enough um, mm-hmm. on a personal level and a their the stuff that they put out is good level right <laughs> um, but anyway so basically uh, something happened in our town is it's interesting because it takes place from the perspective of two different kids one a uh, little white girl named Emma and a little black boy named Josh and um, basically 
you know, the first page starts out, something bad happened in our town. You know, the news was on TV, the radio, the internet. The grown-ups didn't think we knew about it, but the kids in Mrs. Garcia's class heard some of the older kids talking about it, and they had questions. And so, basically, um, a black man was shot by the police, and so it's sort of these two kids asking their families about it. And so it starts with Emma, who is white, and and she asks her parents, you know, sort of about why, why did they shoot him? And the I actually love this page because the parents are like, like the mother's like, oh, it was a mistake. And um, the father's like, oh, they thought he had a gun. And the teenager is like, it wasn't a mistake. The cop shot him because he was black. I'm just like, yes, sassy teenager. Yeah, <laughs> I love, I love the different perspectives that come in in this yeah. in this book and the way that that the an adult reader could kind of use those perspectives to kind of meet their own child where they are, you know. And yes, yeah, I absolutely. Love, I love the the big sister's voice is, yeah. is very spot and, on. And she's so funny. She's like sitting on her phone, and she just has that like sassy teenager look to her. <laughs> and there's one, there's one like where they're all like the the mother and Emma are on the couch, and the teenager's just like sulkily sitting on the stairs <laughs> on her cell phone. I'm like, I see myself here <laughs> as a teenager. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you know, they go, they go into talking about, um, they talk a little bit about slavery and, and, you know, Emma asks, you know, oh, did our, you know, did our ancestors participate in slavery? And they say, yes, they did. And they sort of are looking through a a photo album and, um, and they talk about, you know, how some white people consider black boys and men to be dangerous and, uh, and that the police shooting is part of a pattern. And then what I think is interesting, which I think is always great, when we're working with kids, right, is putting it in their perspective. So, you know, they give an example of suppose you had a birthday party and invited everyone in your class except the black kids, how would the black kids feel? Um, and so they put it in in the, ch- in the child's perspective, which I really appreciate. Um, and so, you know, they ta- then they, they go on to talk about, you know, how could you would be missing out, right, because you never know who's going to be your best friend. Um, or things like that. So I thought that was cute. And then they go to, it switches to Josh's perspective, who's the little black boy. Um, and he, it starts out with him asking his mother if, if police can go to jail and if the policeman who shot the black man is going to go to jail. And the parents explain that, um, the policeman will probably not go to jail. And they talk about, which I appreciate, they talk about, you know, while there are some cops, both black and white, who make good choices, we can't always count on the police to do what's right. I There was another book that I was reading that I'm going to bring up later that I, I felt like was a little bit, I don't know, like it was it, it was like it said kind of the same thing, but the way it said it was more like, like, oh, not all cops are bad. And it felt very mm-hmm. like apologetic. And this just this doesn't feel like that. Um, it feels like there are many, you know, the direct quote says, there are many cops, black and white, who make good choices, said his father, but we can't always count on them to do what is right. So I, I appreciate while, while they're acknowledging, like it's, I feel like it's a good way of acknowledging that, yes, it's not, of course it's not everyone, but this is still a big problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like it doesn't wash away the problem. And I, the, I like the way that it's worded, we can't always count on them, mm-hmm. because it, it does a nice job of of talking about kind of the the, the, the mistrust right mm-hmm. that has built over over uh, centuries, um, and but also doesn't doesn't 
not that I would be opposed to it doing so, but it doesn't use something kind of more inflammatory, like, like some are bad, right? Like yeah. it, it, t- it talks about um, choices and like, mm-hmm. like actions rather than framing it in good versus bad. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about the, the choice of the word of it showing a lack of trust um, and not being about, oh, we're good or bad. Yeah. Right. I, I right. think that it's, I think it's less, um, not, I don't, gentle isn't the right word, but like. It's, well, it's more, it's more nuanced new, and accurate, yes. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I think that it's less, it's easier to, it doesn't make me want to get defensive about it. You know what I mean? Like, I think even if someone, you know, was reading this and was law enforcement or had law enforcement in their life, like, I feel like you could agree with that statement. It's not, you know, it's not saying like, oh, they're bad or, oh, they're this or that. You know what I mean? It's not like accusatory. It's just right. feels like a fact. <laughs> right. But and again, though, we get the kind of the teenager perspective that's like mm-hmm. a little more um, a little more uh, just straightforward. Right. Yes. So Mal- Malcolm says they don't like black men. Which is also yeah. like arguably like completely one hundred percent accurate, right? So yeah, um, yeah, I like the again having the different the different perspectives all kind of adding nuance to this bigger idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, both of the families um, sort of talk about uh, you know how to s- sticking up for people who are treated unfairly, right? Um, and so, so the, the next page uh, says, you know, you can change people's hearts by sticking up for someone who's not treated fairly. Like how Malcolm sticks up for me when kids tease me about my glasses, Josh, Josh asks. He tells them to step off, which I find so funny, like such a teenager thing to say. <laughs> and it's just like that, his parents said. So I appreciate that there's this, um, while we're getting two different stories, there's this uh, sort of similarity between the two of them that both of the parents are saying, you know, we can, we can stand up for people. Um, and so the next day there's a new kid in the class in their school, um, who, uh, you know, it's alluded to being an immigrant, you know, it says his name was Omad and he was from a country far away. Um, and you know, he doesn't speak a lot of English. Um, and he is, uh, being, you know, being left out, they're playing soccer and no one wants him on his team. And, and so, you know, Josh and Emma both, you know, are remembering what their parents said, um, and they both, you know, ask them to join join their team and stick up stick up for him. And the last page says, and just like that, Emma and Josh gained a new friend and started a better pattern in their school, mm-hmm. which I really love. And it's this beautiful um, uh, sort of panoramic image of two two page spread of the three of them, you know, sort of linking arms. Um, and and then there uh, there is my favorite thing in a book so much back matter um there's like a note to parents and caregivers how to counter racism and injustice how to address racial bias with children um there's uh vocabulary at words and child-friendly definitions for things like discrimination fairness prejudice race slavery um things like that there's and there's also which i have never seen in another book so if you've seen this please tell me there's sample parent and uh, parent child questions and answers which i love so like you know if a kid like for example one of the things is why do black boys always act out in class you know and the response could be well what makes you say that um 
you know, and then they have, you know, it goes further or your child tells a racist joke. How can you react to that? So I really appreciate that it has specific examples. One of them is even like um, about, which I've heard personally before, like in my work as a nanny um, with younger kids, like, oh, why is their skin dirty? You know, talking about mm. someone who might be black or brown. Um, and uh, so I think it's really helpful that it actually has, you know, a lot of material for parents as additional resources. Um, even, and it even has stuff, you know, geared toward, um, you know, the people of color where it's like, what should I do if a, like a a child of color, like, what should I do if a police officer stops me? Um, things like that. So I really appreciate the back matter in this. It's like a full, I don't know, six pages, one, two, three, four, five, six, six pages. Yeah. Wow. So, um, it's really, really just a wonderful book. Um, I really, my sort of way to goes, I think, uh, are, I really like that it's from both perspectives. I've never seen that in a book about race before. Uh, at least that was this well done. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times it's either from one or the other. Um, and I, which is also, you know, important, but I appreciated that it sort of had the two perspectives. And like I said, they sort of had a similarity, like an overlap. Uh, with the bottom line being, you know, treating people fairly and standing up for people. Um, and uh, again, I have in all caps, back matter. Um, <laughs> I love me some back matter. The, mm-hmm. the illustrations are really lovely. I think they tell the story, you know, really well. And um, I also, you know, this is kind of a minor thing, but there's a part where uh, it, when we were with Josh's family, we're we're talking about, you know, the older brother is talking about how he gets, he could get stopped by the police, you know, just because he's black, even if he doesn't do anything wrong, you know, Josh says that's not fair. And, um, and then we're, they're talking about, you know, uh, some people like Harriet Tubman, Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, you know, uh, and these people, um, that, that were treated unfairly, but helped others learn to be more fair. And then the next page, um, Josh's father says, some people haven't learned yet, said his father angrily. Why are you mad? Asked Josh. I am mad that we're still treated poorly sometimes, but I can use my anger to make things better, said his father. Black people have a lot of power if we work together to make changes. So I appreciate that, like, he's allowed to get angry. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we often see this, there's often this trope of, like, angry black people and, and, like, or, or you're not allowed to be angry or show your emotions, you know what I mean? Um, and, and, uh, also I think, well, especially when we're talking about like, like, uh, with a lot of the discussions that have been going on lately with like protests and, uh, you know, that have gotten violent and things like that people aren't almost like people aren't allowed to be angry. And so right. I don't know, I appreciate that he's allowed to be angry. Yeah. Yes. And he, and he talks about using that anger mm-hmm. to make things better. Right? Exactly. Like, and not necessarily, it's not that it, um, not it's using the anger right it's still like honoring that emotion mm-hmm. it's not saying like i can take that that anger and channel it into energy it's like no 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 like i'm gonna work with this anger and i'm gonna mm-hmm. use this anger to to enact change yeah and so i really like that and i think that goes a, a lot of what we talk about i mean with kids of like honoring emotions and you know not saying like oh don't be sad oh don't be mad oh don't be this but like okay like let's like sit through this um you know emotion and it's it was interesting i had um when we were talking about uh covid19 one of my guests who had a teenage son uh was saying that one day he 
he just went to his room and was like alone for a little while and uh you know and, and i think i don't know if she asked like what you know was something wrong or after a little while and he said no i was just sad and it felt good to just be sad for a little while um and i appreciate that like sometimes you just want to sit with an emotion and and feel it and i think it's really you know i just thought that that was a really powerful moment in the book even though it almost felt like a small moment it was like it, it stood out to me yeah um the only really room to grow i have as i mentioned before is that three it appears that three out of the four people who worked on this book are white um although obviously right it's its own voices in the sense that it's about a white family and a black family um but especially on a book about this topic i would have liked to see at least half of the people working on it you know being people of color um but that's really a you know a minute detail and i would still highly recommend this book i think it's great it's technically recommended for four and up um but i mean you know me i use you know as soon as kids can understand things and start asking questions i'm like read the book to them absolutely um you know i'm not saying pull this off the shelf and read it to your one-year-old but like if your three-year-old is asking questions like go uh, ahead and, yeah you know absolutely um yeah i um i read an interview with the authors and i do think that um that marietta um that marietta collins took the lead on the josh mm. section mm-hmm. or at least that seems when in this interview um it uh dr marianne solano kind of walked through the first section and then dr marietta collins walked through the josh section mm-hmm. which led me to believe they might have taken the lead on those on those components mm-hmm. i don't i don't know if you were able to find out kind of what the role was of um dr ann hazard um yeah, I honestly, I wasn't, author. I wasn't able to find out too much about how they divvied up the work. To be honest right. with you, I was reading. Um, I had, I had linked in the in our notes um, the like official Imagination Press um, inter like interview that they did, and they just didn't talk too much about that mm-hmm. from what I could find. But well, you know, actually, Dr. Ann Hazard might have taken that third section because Dr. Ann Hazard actually takes the Omad section in oh, this okay. kind of um, this kind of uh, interview mm-hmm. lesson. So can, yeah, which so I wonder. Link to in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so it'd be interesting to see if, if what their what their expertise are in mm-hmm. their in their professional work, if that played a role. Yeah, and like um, I said, I know that they've worked together before on different things, so I thought that that. You know, that was kind of nice, especially when you're co-writing something. It's nice to write with people who you know well and have worked with. And right. so I thought that it was kind of nice that they went in on this project together. Absolutely. Um, one thing that I'll point out, and I, I wonder, I know they're they're reprinting this book right now. And mm. I don't know that if it's just that they're printing more copies because there's suddenly a huge demand. And it's oh, yeah. very back-ordered and it's been taking quite a while to get a hold of this title or if they're actually doing an official reprint, because I know that there are a couple of things I think they brought up in the interview that I mentioned that that they would have handled a couple of things a little bit differently, mm. um, like if they had to do it over, like if they had another round of edits. I think one of them was the idea that um, did our the question that Emma asks, did our family do those bad things a long time ago? Um, mm. And then the her mother says yes, 
back then many people many white people thought that they were better than black people even though Mm. it wasn't true kind of positioning it and even though Liz that wonderful we are all Liz (laughs) kind of adds uh, some people still think these that way but kind of the mother positions it as something of the past rather than of the present which which the authors acknowledge that they would they would shift that language a little bit um, in in hindsight Um, and additionally I was surprised um about the way that they framed um, slavery, mm. um, because the the preferred kind of nomenclature now is to talk about enslaved and enslavers, right, rather mm-hmm. than slaves. And so I was surprised that this book uses the term slave mm. rather than the enslaved. Enslaved. Um, so I, I will be curious to see if that's something that is updated and if they've done kind of a reprint um, but that's something that readers might want to kind of shift that shift that language for themselves when they're reading it aloud with their kids. Yeah, absolutely. Which again is always something you can do. Um, right. You know, it's funny. Like I forget sometimes, but especially when I'm, you know, when you're with older kids, they can be like, "That's not what it says." But especially when you're with older kids, like you can say whatever you want. Um, right. Yeah, unless well, you know, unless they know the book, which has happened to me before, and I try, I tried to get away with skimming through it, and they were like, "That's not the page." <laughs> uh, but I mean, if and, and if an older child child calls you out, you know, you can one hundred percent explain exactly yes. why oh, you're and making it, that change. Yeah, you it's know? so good to be able to have those conversations. I just mean you can't get away with it seamlessly like you can with young kids, right? Exactly. But it's nice to be able to have those conversations and say, "Well, why do you think I, you know, changed the ending of this story, or why do you think I changed that word, or?" Um, you know, and talking about that, I think critically dissecting media with kids is so important. Absolutely. And I think that they're totally capable. You know, kids, they love asking why. Throw it back at them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, I'd love to hear about your book. Um, the book that I wanted to talk about today is um, Not My Idea. Um a book about whiteness and it is written and illustrated by Anastasia Higginbotham and it was published by Doder Press in 2018 and um, it is actually currently available in PDF form through Doder Press. Um, They initially were making it available through June 19th, Juneteenth, but I think that they have extended that because I, I, I see that it's still available. Um, so this is a resource that families can access right now, courtesy of Doder Press and Anastasia Higginbotham. Yes, who has, is lovely and has been on the podcast before. Right. She right. she was in our, if you didn't catch that episode, she was in our episode about how to talk to kids about sex. Um, she also wrote a great book called Tell Me About Sex, Grandma. Um, she, she has a wonderful series called um, Ordinary Terrible Things. Uh, which uh, I believe is this considered a part of that series? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I believe that. Yeah, this is a. Title. I was curious because it has a. It's a different publisher because Feminist Press did. The oh, uh, really? Yeah, I think so. Huh. Um, I could I believe, be wrong, but I, I yeah, thought it was Feminist they, Press. Right. So yes, I believe that this is is considered part of her Ordinary Terrible Things mm. series, um, and so this book uses a child's growing awareness of an instance of police brutality or murder by police to begin to sit with the idea of whiteness and white privilege. Um, And so it's less about how to talk to your children about police brutality and more about how to talk to kids about the system of white supremacy that leads to police brutality. Mm -hmm. Um, And it does this by basically bypassing the adult and speaking directly to the reader. And so um, I wanted to start by reading the author's note. Um, at the beginning of the book, 
uh, Higginbotham writes, in a 1993 interview, Toni Morrison said about racism in America, white people have a very, very serious problem, and they should start thinking about what they can do about it. She added, take me out of it. Those words landed in me as a direct command. That's Higginbotham reflecting upon those words. Um, and so I, I think that, that that messaging, that racism and white supremacy is a white person's problem, uh, is something that is being echoed today. Um, Catherine Pugh Esquire recently put out an article called There's No Such Thing as a White Ally. And in it, she says, racism is not mine, it is yours. What you do is not called help. When it is your mess, we are cleaning. Mm. Um, And so that really, um, really resonated with me as a very powerful and poignant and true uh, statement. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so it is kind of with that in mind that that Higginbotham set out to write this book that really speaks very, very um, openly and frankly about whiteness and white supremacy and what children can do to kind of um, uh, untangle themselves from that system. And so... Um, There are two levels on which this book can be read. There is the level of the text that's kind of written on the brown paper. Mm -hmm. Um, This this book is kind of done in a a collage with with brown paper bag and different kind of images and photographs and and cut paper kind of working together to tell, to kind of illustrate the story. Uh, And then there's also the level of the speech bubbles and the speech bubbles add kind of more intensity, but also more nuance to the story. Um, And so it opens up by saying, when grown-ups try to hide scary things from kids, it's usually because they are scared too. Mm -hmm. And so you see a woman kind of uh, peeking, a white woman peeking through her eyes at a television screen where you see someone holding a gun. And um, she's saying, oh, no, not again. And then this child says, what? Mom, what not again? Um, And so... uh, the child's asking questions because they're seen on the screen um a police a policeman screaming at a, at a black man and then shooting that black man and so then um what you see is the mother turning off the television and um and saying kind of reassuring like you don't need to worry about this you're safe do you understand and then the child though is saying to themselves like no <laughs> no i don't understand <laughs> like this is and um and so um the mother is also kind of saying more reassuring statements that are that are about she says we don't see color our family's kind to everyone and meanwhile this child is kind of processing what they've seen they're drawing pictures of of guns and hands up and the and it says deep down we all know color matters um skin color makes a difference in how the world sees you and in how you see the world and so that that concept is illustrated by the mother and child. So they've essentially they they've gone on with their day, right? This thing has happened. They've seen it on the television, and now they're off to uh, off to Auntie's house for mm-hmm. dinner. And so they walk into a store, and you see the the um, security guard um, kind of keeping an eye on a child of color uh, who is you know reaching up kind of a, a, toward a precarious uh, shelf full of 
bowls um, and you see the white child who is our kind of protagonist like reaching up also precariously to another shelf of bowls that are actually twice as expensive or more expensive than the other one and of course the security guard's eyes are on the the black child rather than the white child um and uh they arrive at the at the auntie's house and the uncle type person is watching the television and and he's kind of upset at the protests and mm-hmm. you see kind of headlines and again um you see the the family of the of the victim and and the child is like kind of distraught by this and everyone all of the grown-ups are kind of turning away right and i can't watch this that police officer was just doing his job which is egregious um (laughs) and so now we see that this child is like in a a, a very certain kind of household um and so there's this message kind of reiterated that that the adults in your life will may refuse to look at what's happening yeah like that might be your reality that the adults in your life are not going to be um open to these conversations and open to to thinking about about racism and whiteness um and so um the child um gets they on the way home the child is kind of increasingly angry looking and the, the mother is saying, are you all right? And um, this was an interesting, there's a double page spread where they're, they're driving and um, it says, even people you love may behave in ways that show they think they are the good ones. And you see they're driving and they're passing through a neighborhood with, with black people, people of color. Um, and you see the mother pushing the door lock Right, like locking the door and kind of putting her hand on her clutch next to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought this was this was interesting. It had there's kind of two ways to read this page. Like the first time I read it, um, I read it as they 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 like the first time that I read this book, I kind of read it as even even adults who believe that they're anti-racist and believe that they are kind of woke. Um, yeah. will still have these kind of biased reactions and kind of implicit kind of little subtle reactions. Um, but the other way to read it is like literally like more um, blatant, right, explicit racism, like that they think they are the good ones, like those people out there are bad, we're good, so I'm going to yeah. protect myself. So it kind of works on two levels, but both of the both levels are calling out um, – that no one is no one's doing enough, right? No one's doing enough to address yeah. this problem. Um, white people are not are not taking up this cause to the degree that they need to. Um, and then it does it. It's still speaking to the child. Racism was not your idea. You don't need to defend it. You can bring your curiosity to learn about it and see that it's true. Um, like that racism is real. Um, and so then the child's at the library. Um, we're seeing kind of a, lo- a list of the ways that, that white, wh- what white people have done, right? Denying opportunity, denying housing, denying voting rights, um, that people are, that people fail, the white people fail to see the problem with this. Um, then we get a double page spread of like amazing, like resistance leaders and, um, 
and kind of this this thesis that racism is still happening it keeps changing and keeps being the same and yet just being here alive in this moment you have a chance to care about this to connect and um the child is kind of processing everything that oh sorry did i just gender the child let me do that again because i believe the child's ungendered the child is processing everything that they are learning they're kind of they kind of explode on their parent um i they, they shout out, like, I do see color, I see yours and mine and everybody's, you can't hide what's right in front of me. I know that what that police officer did was wrong. Um, and so um, it kind of ends, they, they jump out of the car, they go to a playground, they're engaging with people of, from different backgrounds, different races. Um, and it says, your history is not all written yet. What do you want it to say? Mm, I love um, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, whiteness is a bad deal. It always was. You can be white without signing on to whiteness. Mm. Um, it's kind of the big, big culminating takeaway. Um, and then it says, grow justice. Uh, and if it dies, plant it again. Never stop planting justice. Innocence is overrated. Knowledge is power. And it gets <laughs> at this point, at this point, I mean, like every one of these statements is very powerful and very true. It does feel a little bit like a series of um, water bottle stickers. <laughs> like, like they're all like, you know, like the, the the narrative is over and we're just getting kind of a little bit bombarded by these yeah. really powerful truths. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, again, like that's that's what I think that's what I mean when I say like this that the author's really speaking like directly to the child reader. Mm. Like they're not interested in engaging with the adult. They're like, want to get <laughs> these messages. They want to get you get this button and put it on your Jansport and get the sticker and put it on your water bottle. Um, and it says like knowledge is power, get some grow wise, make history. Um, and so that's kind of a synopsis of the book. Um, and so my, my room, my way to goes are that I think that this is like potentially like the only book that is doing this, like that is talking about whiteness and talking about privilege and kind of this battle cry to young people, like for this age group, that this battle cry that like you do not have to be a part of this system. You can figure out ways even if the adults in your life are not on board with your thinking, like yeah. you can figure out ways yeah. to help dismantle right, this dismantle white supremacy and be an anti-racist. Um, so I think that's really powerful and one of a kind. Um, yeah, and I love I love that the like that the child can kind of stand up for what they're thinking and be like, no, like this. I feel like this was wrong and. Um, you know what I mean? And I, this is, you know, I'm feeling this way regardless of how you're feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like we're kind of catching this, we're catching this child in this, this, this moment of epiphany, right? Yeah. Like we're watching this epiphany happen. Um, and the book is sort of helping, like, intending to help the child well, reader ha I, have their own epiphany I simultaneously. I feel like when I was a kid, there was this idea that adults were always right. And I, you know, and now, like, listen, I have grandparents who grew up in the 20s, and they are racist, and I love them, but I take time, like, my grandma was telling me a story, and she was like, oh, you know, these two women moved in, 
next door to us in Florida, and they're both black, but one is lighter than the other one. They're sisters, but one is lighter than the other. And I was like, Grandma, does that have anything to do with the story? You know, like there are gentle ways that I, I like that idea that kids can disrupt, you know, that the racism that adults do have. Like it's okay to be, to, even as a child, like adults aren't always right, <laughs> you know? And so I like that that's in there that's like, you not that it's your job but like you can disrupt that um like as i mean as a kid to have to be you know i feel like sometimes i do feel like it is a job it is my job as a child of my parents to be like yes adult being an adult for them um my (laughs) parents my parents don't listen to this um but uh you know it's just like i i really like that that was in there i appreciate that it's um it it aligns with what we were just saying about kind of taking a metatextual approach to thinking critically about texts, right? This is the story of a child who is thinking critically about what they're being told, what they're seeing, how they're kind of being encouraged to react and process um, and to be, and being critical of that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Again, I, I don't, I don't know of any other book that's doing this. I think that some of the work by Inosanto Nagara, um, kind of moves in this direction um the wedding portrait is another one that we include in one of our ship book boxes that Mm -hmm. is like speaking to the child reader about um direct action and about protests and about like how to like why these things are important the history um but this one i think this is the only one that i've that i've encountered that's explicitly about whiteness and white privilege and white supremacy Mm um uh my room to grow for this book I would say um this is kind of a like stay with me here but um I just want to take a closer look at this this notion that you can be white without signing on to whiteness mm-hmm. um and I think that that's a really important message for white kids and it kind of reminds me of how we we say to children um, you know, we quote Mr. Rogers and say, look for the helpers, mm-hmm. right? So because, and I think that both are really important messages for kids because it feels very action-oriented and specific and reassuring, mm-hmm. right? This idea that you're a white person, but you don't have to sign on to whiteness. And I think that's an important message. Um, but I do want to point out that I don't think that it is the right, it is not enough for white grown-ups. Mm. Like, I think that in the same way that look for the helpers is not not a message for grown-ups. Grown-ups are supposed to be the helpers, mm-hmm. not be looking for them, right? Um, I think that grown-ups need, cannot get away with just accepting or being um, complacent with the idea that they can be white without signing on to whiteness, mm-hmm. right? Because I can say, I, I don't sign on to whiteness. I don't <laughs> believe in white supremacy. I'm, I, I wanna be an anti-racist. Um, but signing on to whiteness is incredibly hard to undo. Yeah. Right. So whiteness, um, I kind of made some notes for myself, so bear with me if I start sounding like I'm reading because I'm reading, um, (laughs) whiteness is so systemic that we are steeped in it. Even if we take direct direct actions to dismantle it, right? Like I can Mm -hmm. take a direct action this afternoon to be an anti-racist and show up for the black community and try to dismantle whiteness. It does not change the fact that I then come home to a home that I own. Um, with an education that, you know, that my privilege in part allowed me to obtain, like, yeah, it, 
I'm still a part of this system, yep. right? So even those of us who grew up in relative poverty and who have loved ones with illness and or addiction and our mental health concerns have had a vastly different experience of those things than a black person in otherwise identical yeah. circumstances. Um, and so I'm, gonna, I'm hopping right up on my soapbox and I'm going to keep reading. <laughs> so how does one unsign? It is a deeply uncomfortable truth. And to be clear, white people's comfort is exactly what is not important right now. So sit with this discomfort to recognize that rejecting white supremacy looks much more like dismantling our own lives and creature comforts and ways of taking than it looks like simply defunding the police. In all actuality, defunding the police is an important systemic step, but it is still essentially an external one. To actually dismantle white supremacy, white people must be prepared to do the work that will impact them as individuals mm. as well. And in a nutshell, this means <laughs> a redistribution of wealth that will likely go against every fiber of what white individuals understand on a fundamental level to be the hallmark of personal and professional success in this country. Um, so that is less a room to grow for the book and more a room to grow <laughs> for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm stepping down off of my soapbox. Okay, now. I'm picturing it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm down. All in all, I think that Not My Idea is a really powerful book. It's one that I think is probably we've had the most intense reactions to from mm. our shift book box. Like it's the one that parents, I think, also kind of struggle to 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 work into the rotation. Yeah. Um, and and I think that's in part because it's it's an unconventional. Uh, storytelling but it's also like a an uncomfortable topic yeah that, that's what I was about to say is that I um with the couple of books that I'm, I'm going to mention at the end of this I had to suss out whether my discomfort was about the topic or was about something that the way the book was saying it or something like that you know what I mean um mm-hmm. but I had to sit with that and be like am I just uncomfortable because this is uncomfortable you know and, right. and it is an uncomfortable topic Right. Well, tell us about those books, Seth. Oh, yeah, I will. So um, I want to start with the one that I've been hearing the most about, which uh, is Anti-Racist Baby, um, by, which is a board book um, by Ibram X. Kendi and uh, illustrated by Ashley Lukashevsky, I want to say. Um, so this book I, I was hearing a lot about, you know, on all every group I'm on on Facebook, when people book groups, people were asking for books about this topic. This was the one it just came out um, that everyone was excited about. And I have kind of mixed feelings about it. I'm not going to, you know, go into a, like a full in-depth thing. But overall, it, it felt to me... Um, a little bit preachy and a little bit like it was more for an adult than it was for a kid. Uh, So basically the first page got me really excited. Um, I thought I was going to love it. It says anti-racist baby is bred, not born. Anti-racist baby is raised to make society transform. I was like, okay, I can get on board with that. Um, And then it's like, here are nine steps to make equality a reality. And I was like, my toddler doesn't need nine st- like it doesn't need a nine step program to equality like I might but so like as I was reading this like I read what I always I read it to my wife and, and my a friend who's currently living with us and we were both just like yeah this feels like it's for me like it's not a bad book but it doesn't feel like it's for a baby it's like kind of the opposite of Anastasia Higgum- Higginbotham's book where it's like talking directly to the child I felt like this is over the child's head and to the adult mm-hmm. um because like all the things it was saying were true you know it was saying you know to see see race um but it's like and also every page starts with anti-racist baby 
And I was just mm-hmm. like, that's a lot. Um, like, anti-racist baby learns all the colors, not because race is true. If you claim to be colorblind, you deny what's right in front of you. The rhyming was also a little forced. Um, uh, so, like, overall, not a bad book. Um, like, I, I wouldn't be like, don't have this in your home. But, like, just know what you're getting into. I would maybe read this with an older kid. Like, confess when being a racist. Like, I don't know that my two-year-old need needs that. I think I need that. You know what I mean? Right. Like are the images are the images such? I'm wondering because this is interesting because um because you know Ibram X Kendi is the like best-selling author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, mm-hmm. right? So um they are an adult author um incredibly like achieve, you know have achieved all the awards, right? Mm-hmm. Um and but and so this book is it is actually being released as a picture book as well. Right. Like, so the demand was so high that it started out as a board book and now it is mm. also going to be released as a picture book. Um, but that's interesting because it sounds to me like it almost like if I were to pick from the of the two, it almost seems like more appropriate for like a grown up reading to their four month old. You know what I mean? Like showing their four month old the pictures, but kind of internalizing the messaging to themselves. Yeah. Like then to as a picture book, which literally you're reading to like a child who is supposed to be asking questions and kind of processing the information and it really like like you're saying it doesn't sound like it's actually meant yeah, for like, a child reader like one like number three is point at policies as the problem not people i'm like my child doesn't know about policy <laughs> like maybe we should have a conversation about policies but like this just felt it just felt overall my reviews it felt very much like like i enjoyed it as an adult but i felt like it was talking to me and not uh, talking to like I don't know that I would read it to a child. So is this is this a board book that we're supposed to be sending to our racist aunts and uncles? Yes, to help to help them with their emerging I think so. birth of their anti-racist value system. Um, but honestly, that's how I felt. I was like, wow, I feel like attacked right now. But I feel like this book is like talking to me, not like right. you know, like I need to do some of these things. But I don't think my toddler does. Um, like some of the things yes don't get me wrong I do think that it's important but it felt more like a guidebook for me for how to raise an anti-racist baby rather than a guide for my baby to be anti-racist if that makes sense (laughs) Um, so the other one I actually this is called Woke Baby and it is by uh, Mahogany L. Brown and uh, illustrated by Theodore Taylor III uh, and this I actually found when on Amazon, unfortunately, which is where I had to buy anti-racist baby from, um, it, it gave me a, um, actually, I'm just going to take this, this moment to say, if you can, please try and buy from, you know, black owned bookstores and booksellers. Um, I unfortunately did not have that, uh, option in this particular circumstance. Um, but you definitely try to do that and just in general support black owned businesses. Uh, I mean, yes. always, but especially now. Right. Um, Afrotech has a great list, a great mm. book list of, mm-hmm. of black owned bookstores. I noticed that there are a lot of book lists going around, but mm-hmm. the, Af- the one on, um, afrotech.com was actually an article also written by a black person. Um, oh, great. So I noticed that a lot of the roundups were written by white people, which yeah. is great that they're doing the work, but let's also like, let's, let's center the voices of black people. And this person, um, I should pull up the name. This person actually wrote the article before um, this, like the shooting of George oh, Floyd. Oh. They actually wrote it in, in response to the pandemic. Like mm. here's how you can be supporting black owned bookstores mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Um, 
So I thought that that, that is worth, uh, worth giving them the, the, the read, you know, the, the, your eyes on their article and using that as a resource. Um, yeah, and absolutely. The, the author of that was Najira Perkins. Oh, great. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we will link that in the show notes as well. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, so anyway, sorry, I totally got off track, but getting back, no, I did. that's okay. It's important. It's important <laughs> off trackness, not like talking about what we had for lunch or something, right. which was pizza, by the way, it was blue cheese <laughs> with apples and maple, maple mm. syrup, um, your whiteness with bacon. is showing, Seth, your whiteness <laughs> is showing. It was delicious. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so t- going back to woke baby, I, uh, basically I was on Amazon and you know how Amazon's like here are some recommendations based on this book you're looking at because we're spying on you. Um, so when I was looking at for anti-racist baby, woke baby came up and I was like, Oh, I haven't heard of this one yet. And, uh, it's another cute little board book and, uh, it was fine. Uh, is my general, general review. Like it, it was cute. Um, but it didn't, I don't know. I, I think it was, it was for a baby unlike anti-racist baby. So I appreciated that, um, mm-hmm. you know, but it was like, look at your fists, fingers curled into a panther's paw, pointing up, 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 reaching for justice. Look at each toe wiggling. Hello to the sky. There is no glass ceiling. There is no one to tell you no, you know, so it sort of had, it sort of went through body parts and was talking about things like that. Um, I think my favorite page is, uh, where is it? towards the end like a good revolutionary you never ever sleep (laughs) 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 um so it was cute uh was my sort of is my general uh, like i don't think it's a a need to have book but i i I liked it i thought it was a cute book that i would read to a kid um and then my my last book is actually one that i found a while ago and i was really excited about it and then i read it and i was less excited about it um and which always bums me out when I love the idea of a book uh, and I really want to get behind it. And, oh, I just wanted to mention that all three of these books are own voices. Um, just before I get ahead of myself. But this uh, this book is called Mama, Did You Hear the News? And it's by Sonia Whitaker Gregg um, and illustrated by Kim Holt. And it was a, it's a book that was written by uh, uh, Sonia Whitaker Gregg, who is a black woman, uh, essentially about how to have that conversation um, you know, geared toward people of color of how to have that conversation with your kids about, you know, how, how to come home alive. Um, and so this was the book that I was like, am I uncomfortable about the topic? Because I, the idea of as a white person, you know what I mean? Thinking about even that conversation being necessary for anyone, um, is just like, so, uh, heavy. Um, and so I, you know, at first I was like, I'm not sure. But again, I read it. I read it to my uh, my panel of uh, judges, uh, my my wife and my roommate, who I will say are also white. Um, and it just there there was, you know, basically it goes through sort of some some rules. You know, they're like, oh, we you know, it's time that we have have that there there's some uh, there's some new. You know, basically it's sort of the same premise as. Uh, uh, something happened in our town where, you know, there's something that happened on the, you know, something that happened on the news and the kid is asking about, you know, about this person who got shot by police and, um, and, you know, and so the parents are like, it's time that we sit down and have the talk. But then it has this sort of like this pattern, <laughs> like it's like a, like a little, I don't know, like, we're, I guess it was the, 
my thought is it was meant to make it a little bit lighter as a heavy topic, but it just almost feels inappropriate. It's like this little like A to the L to the I-V-E, come home alive, that's the key. And I'm just like, I don't, it feels like too peppy for what we're talking about. And I don't know if that was like, again, meant to like displace the discomfort. Um, And then like each letter is like, a, always use your manners. L, listen and comply. I, in control. V, visible hands always. It's specifically talking about driving. Um, e, explain any movement. Uh, and so it just ver- it felt very like while this conversation is important to have, you know, and I understand that it has to happen. I feel like it put the onus on the black child and not on the police. Does that make any sense? Um, it does. I would be, I would be curious to find out what the author has said about that because I do wonder if that is just, I mean, like that's like a mnemonic. If that is a mnemonic device that that black families have to use with their children, yeah, when they get when they when they yeah, 16, I, and that's right? what I'm saying. Like, I also the other thing I thought was interesting is that this child is very young and would clearly not be driving. Um, so I'm curious uh, that it's focusing on driving is intro it was kind of curious to me that they're talking to their you know nine-year-old son about one day when you drive here are some things you can do it wasn't like when you're interacting with police enforcement period right which but you know um that's that is interesting i was listening to a I was listening to an interview on Fresh Air Mm -hmm. with a woman who has two black sons. She's a white woman. Mm -hmm. Um, And she talked about an instance when she was driving and she was speeding. And she had her 15-year-old son in the car with her as a Mm -hmm. passenger. And um, she was pulled over and they essentially, like, did everything but pull her son out of the car and put a gun to his head. Like, they, like, made all sorts of assumptions that she was, like, you know, had been carjacked. Um, And and I I, I just, I say that just because this child also was not old enough to drive. Mm -hmm. And yet he... Was still in that that, position, yeah. Yeah, he was in that position. And that, and those are, and he was asked for his license. And she was like, he doesn't have one. He's 15. Well, does he have a, you know, a student ID? Like, it's Sunday. We just came from church. She doesn't have his ID on him. Um, So it's, 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 I do wonder, like you're saying, like, which parts of this story we might not recognize as white readers. Yeah, absolutely. But might feel very familiar to a black reader. Yeah, absolutely. And I would love, you know, if um, anyone has anything to say about that, I would love, per- you know, some perspective on that because obviously this is not a perspective that, um, you know, I have. It's not an experience that I have. But the one, so the one thing that like made literally all three of us grimace that that you know kind of got me a little bit like ooh, um was the following passage which is you have a right to be mad and sad with all that's going on but all policemen are not bad you'll see son you are wrong you they have families just like us their moms and daddies too they want to get home safe at night we pray for those in blue and that passage to me felt very problematic um i felt different than in the other book like i was saying when they acknowledged acknowledged it in a way that felt less just like oh we can't be mad at them they're you know they're parents too and they're not all bad like it just felt very like dismissive something about it um that just really rubbed me the wrong way um so I don't know overall like 
I, I, you know, I, I hesitate to say whether I would recommend the book or not because it's not meant for me. Um, <laughs> right. uh, and it's not meant for, you know, my family or kids that I would be interacting with. Uh, it's not a conversation that I would be having, you know, with kids that I nanny or anything like that. Um, so I hesitate to say whether I would recommend it or not, but I would just, uh, you know, think about all of those different things in your consideration of, of purchasing it or not. And I wish that there were more books out there to help navigate this difficult conversation um that's unfortunately becoming more and more necessary um but yeah so overall i was just kind of like i feel like the three of these books i've seen floating around and so i just wanted to talk a little bit about them um so you can make an informed decision yeah thank you for giving me the opportunity to be a part of that conversation um well anyway do you have do you have anything else to add before we close out no i don't think so okay um yeah. Um, well, I, I can if I can give a little plug. Yes. Um, we are including um, something happened in mm-hmm. our town in the standalone box that we've developed, kind of in response to this cultural moment um, called "Exploring Race, Racism, and Resistance with Kids," mm-hmm. and we include something happened in our town, um, "Skin Again" by Bell Hooks, and um, "Let's Talk About Race" by Julius Lester. And with the books, we provide a discussion guide to to kind of help unpack the stories um, and also to provide some like kind of those critical moments where we can um, kind of respond and expand upon the kind of what the authors are are bringing to the work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I I personally it's funny, I. I think it was the Harvey Milk book that I, I had um, from you guys. And I had one of the, uh, this was from what, one, two years ago. I don't even know how many, I think it was last year's box. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But at, at any rate, it was one of the pride boxes from previous year. And I had, um, I brought it out for, for uh, I did pride with the kids that I nanny and I brought it out for that week. And I was like, Oh, look, I, I put the guides in my in the books. I keep them with the books. And I was like, oh, look at this helpful guide I have. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true, especially like I personally, I found it helpful um, in that book because, uh, you know, that book deals with assassination. And I was like, I'm, like sitting here talking to two year olds and being like, yeah, and then it was assassinated. Like, that's like really heavy. <laughs> and and personally, like even even as someone who does this work, there are certain topics that I'm like, uh, uh, like, I don't know how to talk about that. Um, and so, you know, just just as a little personal plug um it's the, the guides are i find personally really helpful and even, especially like i feel like if i was working with older kids who are going to be asking questions um you know i think that they're really really useful yeah yeah thank you for that yeah try, of course and with the guides we really try to not only like kind of like we do here on this podcast like we try to not only provide like kind of access points and conversation prompts for what is in the text we also try to to make space to point out what is missing from the text yeah absolutely like like whose story is not being told like for for that book for pride um the story of harvey milk and the rainbow flag it's like um the voices of um like black trans women essentially not included in that title so we in our supplemental material we really encourage readers to to know those names and do that research yeah. and try, try to provide some some background to kind of flesh out know, their understanding I don't of the know if you know the name off the top of your head I would have to I would have to do some quick research but there's a really great book coming out uh, in November about Martha P. Johnson um, mm. and some other some other folks let me look it up real quick so I can 
So it's uh, Sylvia and Marcia start a revolution, the story of trans women of color who made LGBTQ plus history. Um, so that's supposed to be coming out in November 19 of this year. So definitely look out. I know this is a different topic entirely. Well, not really. Kind of. Uh, it's, it's, we're, we're still in June. And these are, <laughs> a, Marcia P. Johnson is a black trans it's woman. It's true. So. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, definitely look out for that one. I have my fingers crossed that it'll be good. Um, uh, but yeah, because there, there's a lot of, I know, um, there's a lot of the, the pride books focus on, uh, white men. Um, mm-hmm. I know there's one about Gilbert Baker. That's very, very good. Um, but about another white man, uh, who, uh, created the pride flag. Um, so, uh, the gay pride flag specifically. Um, but yeah, so I'm excited to see, to see us actually recognize some of the right. trans women of color who were, you know, there. Oh, you know what? Just from this Google sleuthing, it looks like this book may have begun as a Kickstarter and then got picked up by one of our favorite publishers, Jessica Kingsley Publisher. I freaking love Jessica Kingsley. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, this is written. It's written by Joy Ellison and um, Tashika Silver is the illustrator. And it, I believe it looks like it started as a Kickstarter and I, then got picked up by a publisher. That's amazing. I also want to do a quick shout out. This has nothing to do well it has to do with jessica kingsley but anyway whatever um my my friend uh well actually it's funny my, my i'm calling her my friend i mean we are friends but um rachel my friend rachel who was on on the podcast for the episode about sex as well um wrote a really really awesome book published by jessica kingsley the everybody book there we go yeah. so she she just um it was just uh what do you call it thank you i can't think of words (laughs) Uh, so the everybody book was just published by rachel simon and it is literally like the sex book we've all been waiting for like every page i was just like screaming there are like (laughs) happily screaming um there there uh is intersex representation there's asexual representation there's um a pregnant trans man depicted on one page there's the the page that's about um uh, that's about sexual intercourse features two men uh, instead of a man and a woman. So it's just really the illustrations, the words, everything is really wonderful. I would say it's probably for about like seven and up um, geared toward that age. Although if you had a younger kid that was asking questions, it would totally be appropriate. It's not a book that you would probably sit and read through the whole thing. You would probably pick and choose um, depending on what your child was interested in learning about. But like my friend has a four-year-old who's very interested in this stuff and they're getting it for her. Um but yeah, it's really, really wonderful. It's, it's very inclusive of, of LGBTQIA and trans folks. So I would highly recommend that um, as well. That's awesome. I know. It's like literally everything we were complaining about not existing. They just made it exist. <laughs> Rarely does that happen. Right? <laughs> it was very but that's, nice. That's why we keep complaining to yep. make these changes happen. <laughs> it's because of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. But anyway, before I think about something else to review, um, uh, I guess we should uh, probably skedaddle. So thank you. Thank you all for being here and listening because it would be really weird if we were just talking to ourselves. But um, we would anyway. <laughs> we probably would. That's true. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So I guess, Rebecca, have a wonderful night. Yeah, you too. And to all the listeners, please stay inside. Stay safe. Yes, please. And to end things like Seth Meyers does on his A Closer Look. We love you. We do. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you later, Rebecca. Bye. Bye. And remember, stay rad.